Uh, okay, so <clears throat> that showed up in chapter 5. Uh, by the way, uh, this is a, an aside, but I can do this quickly. Um, in Hebrew, the name for the word Deuteronomy is uh, Devarim. Uh, let me write this. So it's just a plural. The I-M suffix is just a plural. So you, you may be familiar with the word Elohim, which is a name for God, which is a plural word. So anytime you have a Hebrew word with the with an em sound on the end, it goes right to left. Um, that, that just means a plural. So essentially the word we're talking about for Deuteronomy is Devar, which just means a thing or word. Okay? Um, and... Uh, there is a, so let me rewrite this. Can I ask a question there? Does that sure. imply the Trinity? The part of Elohim? Yes. Uh, it, it implies that the name of God is plural. I would say yes, that implies Trinitarian God. Um, but And we're, we're going to talk about another name of God here in, in a minute, Yahweh, which is singular. So I, I think it, it speaks to the fact that God is, is both one and many. But... Um, is a singular God, which is essential to uh, the Shema that we're going to get to here in just a minute. Um, so this word devar, uh, or devar, can be, so this, these are like D, B, R, and it goes right to left, so you can kind of see devar, I know you're not reading the Hebrew letters, but that, that's the word for Deuter Deuteronomy. Uh, there's a rabbinic tradition uh, for what God first said when he spoke the world into existence all the way back in Genesis. We don't actually have uh, God's words. We just know that he said, let there be light, and, and there was light. But um, the word for create is uh, barah, bet resh aleph. Barah, it's not just barah. Um, and to make this... To make this uh, future, to make this uh, first person future, you add a letter to the front of it, which is Aleph. So there is an Aleph there. And when you're talking about um, uh, items that would be created by God, you would add a, a feminine suffix, which is an ah. So there is this rabbinic tradition that when God spoke the world into, into existence, he said, Abara. And then, actually, there's a according to, which is a, a K sound. There is abara kadabara. Abra kadabara. You're just making that up. I'm not making that up. <laughs> I would never have the creativity to make that up. So anyway, that that's um, that's where we get the phrase abracadabra, and that goes all the way back to rabbinic sure <laughs> Well. <laughs> That's not even essential to today's text. So let's look at uh, let's look at Deuteronomy six, um, and this is a short text. Uh, so we're going to read it all the way through once, and then we'll kind of read it in sections as we go through it. Um, would someone be willing to read this uh, short chapter? It's about twenty five verses, I think. If you would just read loudly, okay, Dixie. These are the commands and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, 
and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then you, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not test the Lord our God as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers, resting out all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he, but he brought us up from there to bring us into the inn and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all his law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Okay, <clears throat> so... Essentially, Moses is delivering this sermon and has just recounted the Ten Commandments. This section uh, essentially works as commentary on the law that is given. So he said, here, here are the basic ten tenets of the way to live as God's people. And then he starts to um, uh, expand on that, uh, kind of summarize, summarize some of those commandments in the Shema that we'll look at. Uh, and... Um, just remind the people that this is a covenant uh, in which we are invited into. And if you live according to the way God is inviting us to live, then you will be blessed. Uh, and if not, then there are, there are curses um, if, if you're breaking the covenant. So go back up to the first uh, three verses there, if you would. Um, and I'm going to throw this question out and would love to hear your input. I don't necessarily have... The right answer. Um, in verse 3, he says, Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. And by the way, if you remember the very first week, we talked about how listening and obeying are tied together. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship. You have to listen, 
which has this, um, it's more than just hearing. You have to listen and heed and follow uh, what, what we're being told, what the commands are. Uh, and then obey, listen and obey. You'll, he- you'll see those words throughout the text. So listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all, all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So my question is this, uh, why, why do you think God sets this system up, that if the people uh, follow and obey, then all will be well, they'll have many children, they'll prosper greatly? Um, how do you think that works? Why do you think that's the case? Is it a formulaic thing where you just follow the Ten Commandments and um, God supernaturally blesses the people? Uh, what do you think? I think on, on God's side, with the advantage of, you know, our, our view, knowing, knowing what's happened since Christ came, mm-hmm. that man was always called, mankind was always called to be the ruler of the world in God's name, to reflect him. And then there's fallenness, and they're still called to be that, but now they're called to be the cure to what's wrong with the world. So from God's purpose, it would seem to me that you know this contract is set up not just to bless them, but because the cure for everything that's wrong with the world needs to prosper. It doesn't need to die out. They need to be protected. And then from their point of view, since there's not a lot of you know there's virtually no heaven and hell, like we have that thought afterlife stuff, which is shell. Um, the the best thing they have is a life where they're providing. Is that time where everyone you know is is taken care of? You know, you got your family around you, provide for you your old age. Okay. Good. Thanks, Paul. Any other thoughts? Yes, sir. Jack. That's true. I do think that there is an element or a component here of what we call today kind of a health and wealth gospel, where if you follow God and you live your life according to what God wants you to do, then good things will happen. And if you don't, then bad things will happen. I mean, that's essentially <clears throat> what what is being said here. You follow my ways and you'll have a long life, you'll be prosperous, and if you don't, then you, re- you reap the curses. So how do we reconcile that with what we know to be re- reality? Right. Well, I, I... My natural inclination coming from a very individualistic culture uh-huh. is to read this and go, oh, if I do yep. this, I will live a long time. Right. But that's, a, a, a close reading shows you that's not what's going on here. And just, I mean, you know, babies still died. People still got killed in accidents. You know, I mean, People still died earlier than their families would have liked them to in this culture, probably at a greater rate than ours did. Mm-hmm. This is pretty clearly talking long life culturally. 
Yeah, and, and, and I think we've seen that played out. We've still got, um, you know, even, even, though, even though it's a very different community, we've still got an Israel that, that ties themselves directly back to these promises. Mm -hmm. Don't have a lot of Ammonites, Moabites, and Edomites running around. I mean, this mm -hmm. is, this is when, when he's talking about your children and your children's children, he's talking about the legacy the, the presence of God's people, not don't kill anybody, right. you get an extra 10 years tacked on. Right. Nations are viable, not individuals. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's the key, is that we have to remember that God is speaking to a community. And God has always, throughout the Old Testament, God has always been in the business of, of saving communities. It's really not until the last... I don't know, 50 or so years in kind of evangelical Christian communities that we've started talking about the notion of having a personal savior and, and things like that, which obviously Jesus does redeem us individually, but God's overarching purpose is to save uh, communities of people. In fact, to save the world. He, he loves, loves the entire world. Um, so I, I think that's an important distinction that we have to uh, have in the back of our minds as we go through the entire chap uh, entire book of Deuteronomy is that God is God is looking to save the, the community of Israel. So certainly there were still accidents, there were still tragedies. Uh, that's not to say that uh, an individual family was was not was living outside of the covenant until something bad happened. Um, and so that does. Uh, so I, I think from that perspective, we're not propping up a, a health and wealth type gospel that some people subscribe to today that, that I think is problematic because you can love the Lord and, and bad things can still happen. So, well, um, that even was still playing out in Jesus' in the day with the blind man and the yeah, were saying, yeah. you know, who sinned right. his parents that he was so afflicted mm -hmm. and he's like, no, it just, you know, this happened. Yeah, good point. I'm the health and wealth gospel when you apply it to communities and cultures mm -hmm. than I am when you apply it to neither of you. Right. And, and I agree. And then we can have a discussion about what makes a community or, or culture. Is that a political state or is that a group of people that are living their lives in community based around uh, theological and, and faith tenets? Yes. mean to right I don't mean to abdicate you know every individual's responsibility obviously a, a community you know is um, all, all of those individuals together so individual and we see in the Old Testament when individuals sin 
uh, there are immediate consequences to pay uh, sometimes. So, so absolutely, there there's a, a balance there. Um, I think you also have to be careful when you read this. If you, if you really, I mean, taking you know the grand soul or whatever, but you can't start thinking what God owes you if you are following these commands. Right. Right. God's God. He doesn't owe you. Yeah. You know, it right. creates a good health environment for the procedure day. Mm-hmm. You know, take care of your wife and you're good to her you walk through. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. This, not not only are these um, ways of living that draw the community closer to God, it's just a good way of living that gives fuller, r- richer life to, to all the people as well. So there's just uh, practical wisdom embedded in there as well. Seal, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking it reminds me of, uh, uh, of a proverb, you know, train up a child and wait to go and when he's old he won't depart. And people used to get so caught up in that. Mm-hmm. It's a general principle right. and, and I think these things are too. That basically, if, you know, if you're living, if you uh, drive by safety laws of the road, you're going to be mm-hmm. safe. Yeah, and it just applies. So um, I think it all just kind of. You know. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I totally disagree about the one on shellfish. <laughs> <laughs> about the one on shellfish. Yeah. I'm like, I, I just he's got to explain that. One. Yeah, there is a law that you shouldn't eat shellfish. There, there are lots of things you know that. Are peculiar for sure. And uncooked raw shellfish is not in your best interest. That's true. I, I, who would? There's, there's eat, a I don't eat anything uncooked. Deep fried with lots of bread. <laughs> Nancy. And they didn't have their months didn't have the ones with them without ours, so they didn't know when they could oh, eat right. them. That's right. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> okay. So you're saying it's a technology yeah. issue? Yeah. All right. Um, I do think. Uh, the, the key here is that as people are observing the law, they're keeping Torah alive amongst themselves, uh, both in word and deed. And uh, Yahweh, God, is uh, most greatly revealed through the law at this point. Now, uh, I would argue God is most greatly revealed through Jesus. And so there are some parallels we can make. But this was the, this was the way that they experienced God was uh, upholding the law in the community. Okay, uh, let's look at uh, four and five. This is probably the most well-known, well, definitely the most well-known text in Deuteronomy, probably in the Old Testament. Uh, this is often called the Shema, which is just the, the Hebrew word for hear or, or listen. Um, so it starts with that. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord. There's those, that pairing again of listen and, and love or obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And again, as I said when we started, um, you know, this is a prayer that the Hebrew people uh, were so um, tied to that they spoke it twice a day. Uh, it really framed everything that they, that they did. Uh, this is basically a summary or restatement of the first few uh, commandments. And so this, this governed... Uh, who they were as a people. This was this was the main charge. Um, so if you'll turn over to Matthew 22, real quickly. 
This is a story that's fairly uh, familiar to us. Let me just read this section here. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And I, I would think that they're thinking through the Ten Commandments. And, he, and they're saying, okay, give me a number, one through ten. Which one's the most important? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So we see that, that this uh, Shema is carried through the Israelite people all the way to Jesus' day. Uh, it's still very much at the forefront of, of the law. This is what they look to even in Jesus' day. Um, that, that that's the, the summary. In, in a nutshell, that, that's the law that God has given to the people. Um, in the language of the text, let me back up here. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word uh, Lord here is Yahweh, which is just Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. Yahweh. Um, so it's four letters. Uh, in Hebrew, the vowels are written as little dots and tittles and jots and tittles under here, under the letters. Uh, I think it's like that. Um, but the vowels don't get um, copied into the texts. So all of the Hebrew scripts that we have don't have vowels. So we're always guessing a little bit on how to pronounce everything. Um, but uh, <clears throat> we've essentially gone with Yahweh for the name of God, Jehovah. This, this word is, is the um, special name of God that he reveals to Moses at the burning bush. So you remember uh, when uh, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and God has called Moses to uh, rescue the people. He meets him in a, in a bush. There's a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed, and God's presence is in that bush. And Moses says, uh, well, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, uh, Yahweh, shall we, Yahweh, shall Yahweh, which is I am that I am, or I will be that I will be, but really I am that I am. So this is the special name of God. And because uh, the Israelites don't ever want to speak the name of God, they set up their whole uh, language so that they never have to say the phrase, I am. So you think about in our speech, uh, first person present tense to be verb is I am, right? Which we say constantly, I'm going to the store, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. Well, in Hebrew, you, you, never, you, never say, you never say I am because that's the name of God. So all of their uh, first-person uh, present tense to-be verb sentences just leave that off, and it's just understood. Um, but, but that's the name of God, I am. I am that I am. So uh, you just say going to the store? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just understood. It's just a, a veritable font. 
this is uh, truly you can't you can't just rush by this verse uh -huh. if you take into consideration what Jesus just said in Matthew 22. This is why you want to obey those commandments. And if you just look at a list of commands, they look like laborious, tedious, uh, get tripped up. But if you really are motivated by the fact that you're honoring the creator, the sustainer, the real essence of this is why you want to do it. And that's why if you get caught up in the rote uh, mm -hmm. legalism, mm -hmm. you forget this. That's right. It's all rooted in love. <coughs> um, yeah, here. Well, Randall was going to teach that. No, part. no. <laughs> no. Um, That's why I asked you about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, we were talking about that before class. Um, I don't have a good explanation. The explanation I would offer is I think that there is a difference between the Greek mind and the Hebrew mind and the way they component or compartmentalize person. So within ourselves, you know, we have our spiritual component and physical component and um, and I, I think that there was just a when it when it came to the Greek, I think they added in um, that extra component. But essentially, the the premise is love love God with your whole being, love God with your whole person, uh, and you can break that into however you'd like to. Um, in fact, I am going to talk a little bit. Let's go ahead and go to that. Um, <clears throat> we can't address heart, soul, and might here. Uh, in, the, um, in the early Christian view, so in the first few centuries after Jesus, uh, I, I think, and other scholars would say, heart, soul, and might encompass the different components of a whole person, like I was talking about. Uh, but in the Jewish view, they would really hear those as different ways of loving God. So you would, you would love God with your heart, which is this undivided loyalty, like... Um, as if you would love a king. So you may watch some of those medieval king shows and the king is always saying, but do my people love me? And they're not talking about you know, the way I love Dixie. They, they're talking about a different kind of relationship there. So the, the Jews would, would love God uh, with their heart, have that undivided loyalty. Um, soul, life would encompass um, the level of commitment even unto martyrdom. And then might is the physical uh, attributes that we have in our power. So substance, wealth, property given in service to God. So I, I think the Jews would think more about how um, the, their love manifests in those different ways. Eric, you know, one of the, the Septuagint translated heart is mind. So the, the translation probably most of them were familiar with if they were Greek speakers said mind, soul, and power. Right. So it, it may have just been using the terms that they were familiar with in the Bible. Right. So, and if, if so, if, if it's just that translation, essentially, uh, that's just getting duplicated. One, one says, heart. What, what did you say, George? The Septuagint translates heart as mind. Heart, right. So, heart and mind would just be a duplication, possibly in the Greek. And then we've we've put all four in there. Really, two of them may just duplicate each other. Um, and then a third way to kind of read heart, soul, and might is that. Uh, it's, it's essentially a superlative where um, that, that would be more of a literary function where each one is, you know, you're saying this and then you grow it further and then you grow it further. So it's, 
regardless of, of which way you read that, I think the purpose is love God with your whole being, with all that you have, love God. And the way you show your love for God is by upholding the law that was given. So, okay. <clears throat> Let's uh, go on down to... Uh, and in Jesus' words, loving our neighbor. Right, and, th- and then Jesus adds loving the neighbor, which encompasses the rest of the Ten Commandments. Um, so he breaks them into, into two sections there. Uh, would someone read uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9 once more? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, and on your gates. Alright, thank you, Fred. So, uh, we might read that and think these words are so important we need to keep them in the forefront of our mind all the time. Kind of read that uh, a little bit as metaphor. Uh, the Jews took, took this very literally and, and acted this out so that the words were always uh, present physically in, in their midst. Um, so a, a question here, uh, what do we do with important words in our culture? If you think about uh, words that might influence our whole community, where, where do those words show up? Bob, what, what were you going to add? Let me, uh, we're running a little bit behind, so let me, let me move ahead real quickly. Uh, this is how uh, the uh, Hebrew people would, um, would live out that scripture. You can see this, this guy on the left, who's a modern-day Israelite soldier, he's in uniform, uh, is wearing a phylactery, a couple of them. So this little box that he has strapped to his head is called a phylactery. And um, he's got one on his arm as well strapped around his his arm all the way to his hands. Inside this little box uh, is a scroll, a little piece of paper with a scroll, which more than likely has the Shema written on it. 
could could have a couple of other key texts as well, but most often it's the Shema that we just read. So it's constantly physically there to remind them. Um, and then on the right, uh, that's a picture of a mezuzah. In fact, I've got several here that we can have a little show and tell. I'll pass these around. Some of these have sharp edges, so you know, watch yourself. But um, a mezuzah is a little case that uh, gets hung on your doorpost. And if you flip it over, you can see um, that there is a little metal strap. That, that's where you insert, those don't have a scroll in them, but that's where you insert a little scroll and uh, with a Shema on it, and you hang it on your doorpost. And there's all kinds of regulations about how to hang it on the doorpost. Uh, you hang it as you're entering the room on the right side, I believe, uh, about two-thirds up on the, on the door frame so that it's right in your line of sight. So that every time you enter or leave the room, you are reminded of the Shema. So constantly, you can't escape it. All you know, and, and they would write it on their doorpost. They write it on their wall. Um, and I know some people have taken to doing that recently with like new construction homes. They'll go in before the drywall's up and write verses on, on their home, which I think is neat. But but constantly, this Shema is before the people. Uh, it, it's always in, in their midst. Uh, why at why at an angle? Right. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Do you know why? It's just it, it is always at an angle. That's it's part of the regulation. Um, I, it may be also so that it doesn't so that it catches your attention. Uh, but the the purpose is it's supposed to be in your line of sight. Um, but yeah, they always do hang them at an angle. On that and track. when you go to Israel today, every door jam has these in it, and that would include elevators. Every door jam. As a mezuzah, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, I've got one in my office, on my office door that I like better than all of those. But it's a fix; I can't get it off. It's a ceramic thing, which is a little bit nicer. Some of the things that I think are worth noting. I, I think it's worth going comparing this to the the idols that were brought mm -hmm. up earlier. Okay. Yeah. That I mean, because they are making symbols here. And the idols are symbols for things, but what's important to God is that if you're going to make symbols, make symbols of the words, the ideas. So it's not it's not about the thing; it's about the idea. And um, there's, I, I, and I, I can't remember the source of this quote, but one of the things that's always kind of oriented me as a writer is we become the stories we tell ourselves. Yeah. And this is a very intentional way of making sure that the stories that they're telling themselves are the things that they will become. Because a lot of times we tell ourselves stories that we don't we, we, we don't we don't see the stories right. until they have become part of us. Because they're just there's so much around us. But if we're if we're always making sure that we see love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength love your neighbor as yourself if those are things that you look at every day then you will see everything else in the context of those mm -hmm. where if you're letting yourself just absorb whatever's around you you're going to you're going to see the world in a different way right it, it becomes ingrained and it, it definitely but, but, changes but now we see you know now we, we, we see these we see them in t-shirts we see them on wristbands we see them on uh, social media memes, we see them engraved in statues, we see them in 
commercial slogans on bumper stickers. Uh, you know, we, we, we do this in a lot of different ways. Right, 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 very good. Which is what we do with important words, all, you know, all, all those things. Um, we don't need to spend much time here on this section, uh, but uh, 10 through 12 talks about um, reminding the people, building that communal memory within the people so that they always remember God's redemptive work. So that kind of goes back to what Brian was saying about uh, knowing the story. And when we finish with the chapter, we'll, we'll look at that uh, as well. Uh, 13 through 19, it is important. Um, in verses 10 through 16, we see a call for obedience when, when the land is occupied. So when you're in the promised land, this is how you should live. But in 17 and 18, uh, you'll notice the, the language is just slightly different. Uh, it says, you must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land that the, the Lord swore to give your ancestors. So in 17 and 18, there's a little bit of a twist where you actually have to live like this as a community so that you can uh, inherit the, the promised land. So there's a little bit of a shift. Um, and I think that's a little reflective of the nature of God's kingdom now, that we live in God's kingdom now, but it is not yet fully come. So Jesus has inaugurated the coming kingdom, but we have not yet seen the full uh, breadth of, of God's kingdom. Um, so there's a little bit of a before and after now and not yet, uh, but, but we're still supposed to live as if we're already in the fullness of the blessing. So that, that's important. Um, okay. And then the last uh, five verses here, I think, are just incredibly important. This is another uh, way that you instill memory into a community. Um, you know, if we, if we want to have a story in this community or remember something that happened in this community, we needn't tell ourselves because in 40 years, most of us will not be here. If we want this community to know a story in 40 years, we have to tell our children, right? That's just the nature of how communal memory works. Uh, in the future, this is verse 20, in the future your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? And one easy thing to tell your children when they ask things like, why are we passing bread, you know, crackers and juice in church? Why is somebody going up in, in the, and getting dunked in that water? Why do we sing together? Why do we do this? An easy way to say, say, answer that question is, well, that's just what God told us to do. Right? And, they, and they could tell their, their children that. God asked us to live like this. He gave us this law. He's God. Therefore, we have to obey. That's one strategy. The other strategy is to tell the story. And so the response is, then you must tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. <clears throat> the, Lord, the, the Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so that he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. <laughs> and the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. So story, I would, I would submit, is a much more powerful way uh, to remember things. Um, 
And I, I think it's more honoring of what God has done rather than just saying, well, God gave us the law. We're supposed to obey. That's the nature of the covenant we're in. Uh, if you remember God's redemptive story, it has a different uh, effect on your life. And so uh, one of the ways that uh, they remembered the story was to celebrate Passover. And if you go back and look at the instructions for Passover in Exodus, the whole premise, the whole point of Passover is to tell your children the story. So um, it's not just a meal or a festival that the adults share together and they really understand all the nuance and meaning of the story. The whole point is so that children can ask questions. And in fact, today, when you have a Seder meal today, uh, there is a rabbi that kind of runs it, but a key element is to have a child who is asking the prompting questions that, that propels the story forward. So this is just a, if you've never, by the way, if you've never experienced a Seder meal, you need to do that. Um, we, we need to do that at Otter Creek. Uh, I, I've done a, a Seder meal a couple of times with a Messianic rabbi, a, a Jewish rabbi who believes that Jesus is God's son. Uh, and so that even adds more meaning and more nuance to the story, but it's just really powerful. But just real quickly, and then I know we're past time, I'll wrap this up. So on a Seder plate, a Seder meal, you have two types of bitter herbs, which remind um, the people of how bitter and harsh their time in slavery was. Uh, there is paraset, which is this stuff right here, paraset, which is a real sweet uh, apple and nut mixture, which reminds the people of the mortar that they had to make to um, to build the bricks in, in Egypt. Uh, there's uh, parsley, which is dipped into salt water to remind the people of their tears. Uh, there is, um, of course, a roasted lamb or goat bone, which re reminds the people of the Passover lamb sacrifice. And then there's a hard-boiled egg <coughs> that uh, reminds reminds them of the festival sacrifice that took place in the temple. And so you go through this long liturgy, and in the course you eat the meal, and there are several cups of wine that you drink at different times, and you tell the story of the ten plagues, and the children you know, dip their fingers into the wine and sprinkle it on the plate to remind themselves of the blood, the blood, the blood that happened in the, in the plagues. And there's just all these triggers that make the story come alive. And the reason the story needs to come alive is so that we remember to love God with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our strength. Um, and so, so that's how uh, keeping, keeping the law happens. So uh, why don't we close by reciting the Shema together. If you'd stand. We'll read these words together and you can bind these words to your heart and live by them for the rest of the day and the week and your life. Let's speak this together. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind.